Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. This is Kino. My name is Zarar. I'm Cheesy. I'm Chaba. We've talked about continuous delivery in a variety of ways already, but there's always something that we want to deliver in terms of code, right? So we want to make sure that code turns into functionality and, and makes and becomes available for our end users. So how do we manage all that code? Um, there is a variety of ways to uh, to handle this. So uh, so let's see if there's anything special we need to take into account when we are uh, talking about continuous delivery. So source code management, when it comes first to my mind, is um, uh, making sure that uh, uh, we have a, um, a repository where our code goes, but after that, that repository is used uh, for all the subsequent activities, like to, to build the code and eventually to, to, to store the, some of the built artifacts. Uh, this ensures that also it's a cross-collaboration across uh, all the developers and, of course, the, the, the versioning aspect. Well, I think uh, Git has basically won the source code management toolset wars, if there ever was one. Uh, once SVN and CVS kind of went away, Mercurial had a bit of a blip there. But after that, it, it was just all Git. I feel that you really have to commit yourself to learning Git and all the things that it can do. Because sometimes we focus a lot on what languages to use, what patterns to use. And that's that's every every developer should should know that. And I personally try to get better at that every day. The better you are at Git, the faster you can develop stuff. And that's not necessarily a logical or or, or something that is quite obvious to start with. I feel Git is something that developers really need to understand because if you understand commands like rebasing and, and cherry picking and bisect really, really well, you can actually increase your productivity tenfolds. The, the workflow of how you do certain tasks will change because of the knowledge you gained on how to use a source code management system like Git. Before when SVN and CVS used to be around, there used to be basically a standard workflow on how you develop software. There were certain branches, there was a main line, you merged at a certain time. And once Git came in, it, it had all these hidden under the hood features that once you started learning to master them, your development speed became a lot faster than what it used to. How did you see the use of source code management change to support continuous delivery over the years? Um, merging got easier. Uh, that, that in essence is the big thing is that taking my changes and merging them with other people's changes became easier and easier and more automated by the tools. Uh, in other words, in order to drive risk out of the system or remove risk in a continuous delivery, uh, mode, we need to integrate our code, my code with everybody else's code on a fairly regular, uh, interval and that interval needs to be measured in minutes or hours, not days. And so if we're all integrating all the time, the, the key here is to make those merges or those integration points very simple, take out most of the errors and make it as automated as possible. The tools that uh, Zarar was talking about, or the, the techniques at least that Zarar was talking about, how important are they uh, to support continuous delivery? Can we do it without them? I, I don't think it's possible, uh, you know, because the the I, I think going back to the old approach that 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 Zarar referred to, it becomes a very difficult thing to merge and integrate code. There there were several models from the past. The, the one model of locking, which some of the tool sets brought in place, 
uh, guaranteed that only one person at a time could modify a specific file, which kind of blocked us having teams of people or groups of people collaborating or working in the same area of code. Uh, the whole approach where a branch copied everything over and the merge process was was very tedious, again, caused us made it much more difficult for us to integrate our code on, on a frequent uh, at a frequent basis. So I, I think these tools have made it very easy for us to continuously integrate all of our code, which is resp- which is essential for continuously deploying our code. Isn't the, the distributed nature of Git which brought this in? This 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 way easier of, of merging and uh, and then and working with the code. When, when I think about Git and and the the biggest thing that it delivers, uh, I, I I just think that that its ability to to store the changes as diffs and to be able to apply those uh, in in many different fashions. Whether it be rebasing, like like Zarara mentioned, or, or some of the other techniques, and the fact that it figures out how to merge things in the vast majority of the times is 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 probably the most important feature. Absolutely, distributed nature is also good. It allows me to to work on things locally, you know. But but uh, it, I mean, it's it's good from that perspective. But I I just think that that the merging is the most important. What kind of artifacts would you store in a source code? repository well pretty much everything that that contributes to our code so so we're talking about source code but let's not forget that that the configuration of our environment is also an excellent place for the source code so the so the more we can uh, we can we can create uh from 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 source uh like setting up our environment uh uh, uh building actually brand new environments and storing that in the source code management uh, our, our pipeline and our, our pipeline configurations. So the more goes into the source code management, the, the easier is going to be to to build the continuous delivery platform. Once the the, the results of that of that of that build, the results of that of that compile can also go back into the source code management in order to uh, uh, use these uh, later to deploy uh, to put these in various environments. We just changed the definition of source. I think I think you know the old mantra of the right tool for the right job. I mean, I think I, I'm with you know on that. You know, like in a source code repository like uh, like GitHub, you would generally just store you know your source code. And there are other tools out there which 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 store the artifacts that the code generates. And something like JFrog Artifactory is is one that I've kind of used extensively for, for that purpose. Because w- once you enter that domain of storing artifacts, you al- you almost expand your your concerns to security and compliance and deployment uh, and 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 a whole new other realm of uh, software development. So, but but there is one point that uh, that Chaba raised, which is, which is which is an excellent one, is that is the configuration aspect of things. I, I think we're still a lot of the times in the mindset that our configuration is separate than our source code. And I think if, if you're if you're a, if you're a company or a, or, or a team that that has you know your configuration maybe uh, stored in like say on your on your Linux servers on in a separate file, maybe one thing that you can do is actually externalize that into some sort of a repo and then connect your source control with your configuration repo or, or, or some sort of combination like that. So, so I think that that is a step that, that teams can take as, uh, as basically a next step if you're already doing decent source control management. 
Right. So now you're referring to a concept that is commonly known as infrastructure as code, right? We describe our infrastructure, we describe our configuration, not just of our environments, but also of uh, the application itself. And, uh, and then something in the backend or something in the pipeline will ensure that that is taken into account. And uh, that configuration is applied either to environments or to, um, or to, or to our applications. The, the, the idea is that our, our infrastructure is, uh, is not something that, that, that we have people actually build uh, because having people build out our infrastructure for us leads to a situation where every version of that has the potential to be different. So infrastructure as code is where the definition of what that infrastructure looks like and what actually is running on that is stored in configuration files that typically is checked in with the code that, that is going to run on it. And by doing this, you actually get rid of or go away from this whole notion of I need to have environment-specific configuration or, or any such thing, but instead you build out a single Docker container as an example, and that Docker container can be deployed into any number of, of uh, environments and can use, uh, you know, it can dynamically find the, the other things that it needs to, uh, to uh, interact with through something similar to a registry of sorts. So I've worked in lots of places where, where we've done that, and it's so much cleaner than having this case where I'm going to take my code and I'm going to now deploy into environment A or I'm going to deploy into environment B. So the configuration for environment A or environment B needs to be applied at that time. The other thing that it does is by having that, that uh, definition, if you will, or that configuration checked in with the source code is it lets developers own those environments. So in other words, developers own the creation of the environment that their application runs in. It's important because as the application's requirements change, they can actually build out, you know, and, and change the environment that it runs in. Uh, as it's going down the pipeline or as that container is going down the pipeline, then it gets the, all of the tests run inside of that container and it gets tested prior to it hitting production. So, so we, we talked about infrastructure as code and the responsibility that is uh, handed over to developers. And now there's a whole bunch of things around compliance, security, and so forth, and policies that are potentially there for good reasons. Uh, how are we ensuring now that developers have the right knowledge to ensure that those policies uh, are respected or at least thought about? Well, thought about is a, is a very interesting uh, question uh, because uh, I think we talked about a couple of a couple of podcasts ago about architecture and senior developers and 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 those kind of roles. And I think uh, how you think about those things is through ultimately experience and uh, and coaching. Uh, if you have uh, if you have uh, uh, have good mentors on the team who, who who teach you to think about security, who teach you to think about static code analysis or performance and uh, and compliance. That it's it's got to start there because you're not gonna no matter who you are no matter how bright you might be you're not gonna start thinking about that without actually knowing what your organization's rules are so uh, that's a good segue into a topic of what is the role of a senior developer or architect and that could be one of them now assume that you now know what to do and now you actually have to have to comply to a certain security requirement or a certain compliance requirement uh, at that time as a developer, you should have the ability to test whatever you are writing, to test whether your code is security compliant in a quick and efficient manner. Uh, 
And that the answer to that is the pipeline. The pipeline that, that you are working in should be able to give you the feedback on whether your code is compliant or not. Uh, I think there's an element of uh, seniority and coaching that's required to, to, to tell you how to how to structure your code for to make it compliant. But once you do, once you do whatever you have to do to the code to to make it compliant, it is the pipeline's responsibility to tell you immediately, without necessarily you even checking into your trunk or your master whether your code is uh, compliant or not. You should get that. You should get that feedback on localhost. And I think that's the big challenge that a lot of companies, a lot of small and big companies face is that th- there usually is a is a large time gap or a big administrative step or or some sort of process that 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 delays that feedback on w- w- where where a developer can answer the question is my code compliant. And I think that's where the pipeline team or 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 the the pipeline the infrastructure group if you will should be able to provide uh, a pipeline that is um that does that, and at the same time, provide a pipeline that developers can contribute to. Sometimes the the, the former happens, but the latter latter doesn't. In addition to what uh, Zorar said, there there is a fundamental shift in in who owns a lot of these things as well on the journey to continuous delivery. For example, uh, in in a lot of companies, you have a central group that says, here is an image of what you have to run on, and here's what you have to do. And you have a central group who approves what what uh, libraries you're able to use and how you do it, you know, and that thou shalt only get your libraries from this internal uh, uh, repository and everything has to come from there. And uh, so that that those sort of processes create lots of delays in, in development in that often there's a whole approval process that you have to go through to make a change or to get a new library or added or whatever it might be. And that, that, that whole idea is kind of counter to, uh, to the way we want to work in a continuous delivery uh, world. So I think what tends to, what tends to happen instead is that the company can kind of put some some high-level guardrails in and then let the teams kind of iterate and change and uh, as much as they need inside of that pattern. For example, uh, we might want the company to say, okay, here's the, the Linux distro that we want to use for our Docker containers. But then inside of that, the team should be able to select their base image and should be able to supplement it with the tools that they need to keep their app running. I think the company is well within their bounds to say, you know, here's here's the licenses that we think are are okay. Here's a couple of licenses that maybe run counter to what we want to do as as a company. And then you have to trust the developers now to make sure that they have processes in place and checks in place to make sure that they only run uh, libraries that adhere to the company standard, if you will. So so instead of having a centralized group that controls everything and that that verifies and makes you go through hoops to introduce any type of change. It's more of a decentralized trust mechanism that 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 goes in place for a lot of the compliance. You can also put some of these checks in the pipeline. So there are tools out there that are going to check your licenses and your and your code. Now we have every single aspect, uh, security, licensing, and and then so on and so forth that we can check in the pipeline. I have a funny story. I'll, I'll tell you guys a funny story. So uh, I'd been working with a new client for about a month now. And uh, I went in on a Monday morning and some of the developers pulled me. So I said, cheesy, we're in deep shit. 
And I'm like, oh, what's going on? They said, well, uh, uh, some some department just learned that we're in production already, and they haven't gone through and verified or validated all of the uh, the the uh, third party NPMs or all the libraries that 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 we are using. And so I set up a meeting with them, and they they actually wanted to pull us out of production. We were in production already, and and literally in two hours in an afternoon, we we wrote a script that used Yarn to do the license checks, and we asked them, "Tell us which uh, which licenses you you do not want, and we'll have them in there." And we were able to, in, in a matter of a couple of hours, shut down the pipeline if, if a license that was on their do not use list showed up. And so, and when I went back and showed them that it was impossible to get anything into production that that down this path, they were fine with it. So that's kind of what I'm talking about, which is very decentralized instead of this centralized check and balances. We talked about source code management in a variety of ways in the meantime. We talked about how um, it became an awful lot easier to merge changes and that we also needed that in order to, to really do continuous delivery. We talked about as well how we can put configuration and um, and an infrastructure actually description of, of an infrastructure that the platforms that you run on also in source code management a, a concept known as infrastructure as code and uh, we talked about how this changes the responsibility and moves it over to to the developers and uh, and then also on how um, how we introduce a pipeline and, and all those security checks and compliance and all that kind of stuff that otherwise uh, would cause a slow feedback loop is now all taken care of by by the pipeline what do you feel is the uh, the single most difficult thing that we still need to deal with and that we uh, we hope to find solutions better solutions for in the in the near future so I'll go back to uh, that, that old adage that, uh, you know, merging has always been the hardest thing uh, about, about code. And I'm not sure that's a tooling problem. I think that's a human problem because ultimately merging becomes hard when you have a lot of code to merge. Uh, but if we are merging in small increments, then merging becomes almost a non-issue. I still find that we have a big tendency to write large features and large, make large changes to your uh, to your repositories, which adds a lot of delay into into getting your change actually out the door. And eventually, that delay it can be seen in some throughput metrics for the team, uh, cycle time for the team. It it all it all kind of bundles up and shows shows up in those metrics. Uh, I think what we can do to make merging easier, which I still think is one of the hardest problems there, is to actually start writing smaller changes into your main repositories, but how do you actually do it? Uh, and, and that's a subject of a whole new podcast. But one thing that, that, that I have um, noticed is that most, of, most development teams work in some sort of an agile format, if you will, and they have user stories. You almost have one PR per user story. That is, I would say, an anti-pattern because if your story is even a little bit big, uh, your associated source code also usually becomes bigger and bigger. One thing you can do to encourage faster throughput and better cycle time for your teams is to break that mental mapping that one story equals one PR. Think of it as one story equals multiple PRs, which can be submitted throughout whatever uh, whatever time duration is is um, is important. So, how about eliminating PRs altogether and then as well? 
the, the problem doesn't go away. I mean, instead of a PR, you have a commit to your uh, master. So uh, the point is that the, the change needs to be smaller. Uh, whether it's going in through a PR or a commit is is almost secondary. But but getting your culture to the point where, you know, so say, say you're writing a, a simple example. You're writing an email validation um, class. The first thing you can do is you don't have to necessarily switch out all the validation in your app to this email. You can actually go ahead and commit an empty class with a constructor, which does not have any logic. That's a PR or that's a commit. I think we have to start thinking in those terms to reduce the merging risk that, I, I, as I said, still remains uh, you know, pretty big. Any other challenges that you, you still see with source code management that you would like to see addressed in the near future? Addressed might be a, a little bit of a stretch, but one thing that I see that still is uh, we're, we're trying to figure out what's the ideal way is how do we achieve reuse of smaller components uh, through a source code management type approach? And there are two fundamental approaches out there. I'm not going to talk about which one is better or worse, but one is where each thing that we build has its own repository and that if we have some that we push things into some sort of a repository itself where you know new versions are created and stored so that they can be pulled in as a dependency from somewhere else. So that that's one idea. The second idea is a monorepo where we have one repository with everything there and dependencies are kind of pulled at build time from this code itself. There, there's folks who have had success and failures with both sides of that. I think we're still going to see some some uh, pain until we we continue to come up with a good model and maybe maybe it's a whole new tool maybe maybe it's something that replaces Git altogether or something else that helps us achieve that. Yeah, so this concludes this episode of the Continuous Delivery Podcast. Uh, see you again next time.